Okay. As we said earlier, if it's your first time at Arena Church, you're particularly warm welcome. And just to say that after the service is finished around about 12, um, we don't want you to feel that you've just got to dash off without connecting with anybody. Teas and coffee's being served downstairs in the gallery room. And uh, we do so just create a, a little reception area, just particularly for folks that are here for the first time or maybe just a second. And there's a, a team of people there ready to give you a great welcome and just uh, help you in terms of the journey of this church. Uh, if you've got a Bible this morning, and uh, when I say that, I realize that people go to the Bible in all sorts of different ways. Um, and in, in other words, you don't think they've got a Bible, but they bought a Bible. You know, it's on the telephone or whatever they do. But Deuteronomy 34. Deuteronomy 34. I don't know we've got that backslide to go up, Gemma, as well, please. Thank you. And uh, I've got a verse in Deuteronomy this morning that I want to just concentrate our hearts upon as we come to the Word of God. But I'm going to read the whole of the chapter. And, uh, and then we'll, 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 we'll just sort of explain where we're going with it. So Deuteronomy 34. <clears throat> the Bible says that then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Psalms, as far as Oar. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob when I said I would give it to your descendants. I have let you see, the, see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And of course, there was reasons for that which we're not going to go into this morning. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where the grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, and his eyes were not weak. No good to spec savers. But um, nor, nor his strength gone. What a way to go. What a way to go. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom. Why? Because Moses had laid his hands on him. So that, that's an uh, amazing sense of imparting the blessing from one generation to another. Moses didn't keep it to himself. He empowered the next generation to go and take the land. And friends, we must always do that. That's the spirit we must always, always carry. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. And then verse 10. Since then, no prophet has risen up in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to the officials and to the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. And it's verse 10 this morning that I'd like us to concentrate on for a few moments because it says there that since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And this morning, friends, uh, it, it's sort of like one of those one-off messages. I trust that you've enjoyed the Circle Maker series. And I know that many people have been freshly impassioned to pray bold prayers. And we believe in, friends, that over the next weeks and months, we'll have lots of feedback from uh, testimonies and stories of people being, being able to give praise to God for being bold in seeking after him. 
The arena Bible reading this morning is from Matthew. It says that if we will knock, the door will be opened. If we will seek, we will find. If we ask, it will be given unto us. In other words, as we've been encouraging over the last few weeks, that persistency, that consistency, that determination to keep coming to the living God. And so this week, and we're in a week or two, just going to launch another little series which will take us to the Christmas program. But I was just waiting before God. You know, sometimes the challenge is even greater, just on a sort of one-off when we've still not got a flow to things. Say, God, what do you want to say this morning? And the only word I could get from this, for this morning from friends was confrontation. And don't worry, because it sounds negative, it won't be. Confrontation. And I want to speak this morning about holy confrontation. Because the Bible speaks to us and says of Moses, there's never been a prophet that has risen to the Israelites like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Holy confrontation. Now, of course, the word can often have a negative uh, rhyme to it. Uh, sometimes we were reading press reports of ugly confrontations, ill-advised confrontations, dangerous confrontations. But just going to the dictionary definition, listen to this. This is, this is with no sort of collusion between the dictionary and the Bible. But reading verse 10, talking about Moses knowing the law face to face, the dictionary definition says confrontation is to bring face to face. It can mean danger, but it can also bring revelation. That's not the Bible, that's the dictionary. In other words, friends, when we confront the living God, when we come figuratively, of course, in our mind's eyes to face-to-face confrontation with God, it brings a revelation of his purpose. I want to say today that God longs to meet with people. He longs to meet with every person that is connected with Arena Church. You may not yet be a Christian. You may have lots of questions in your mind. You may say this and say that, but I want to say God wants to meet with you. And here's the truth, friends. All your questions are not going to be answered before you make the step of faith. It doesn't work like that. But God's saying that if you will engage in a relationship with me over a period of time, I'm very confident I'll be able to answer all of your questions. You see, the Christian faith is not about satisfying your intellectual loss. It's about a relationship. It's about you meeting face to face with the living God. And for those of us that have been Christians for any period of time, the danger is that somehow we let the relationship become distant. And God's passionate about Christian believers in this community continually meeting with him face to face. Having a face-to-face confrontation that brings about revelation over our lives. This is a Christian service, so I'm not going to do an apologetic for the reality of God. See, I believe in God. I believe that he's real. I believe that God is love and he's light and he's life. I believe that God is holy and righteous. I believe that God is full of grace and truth and justice. I believe that God is the God of the Most High. And our worship and our thanks and our praise... And everything that Christian has brought to us this morning has sought to reflect the fact that people believe in the reality of God. The fact is that we can meet with him. We can be personal with him. If I can say, friends, we can be intimate with the living God. That's why I've called it a holy confrontation. It's not ugly, friends, today. It's not ill-advised. It's not dangerous. It's a place where we come to where we bless. And what about Moses? Well, what an amazing man. You must have read Exodus at times and thought, this is incredible. 
right from his birth, friends, right from a time where his life was in immediate danger simply because of who he was born to, there was a purpose, a sovereign plan over his life. Let's face up to the fact that sometimes he made some mistakes. Isn't the Bible candid in terms of talking of the mistakes of great men and women of God? But the reality is, friends, that he was an amazing man in the hand of the Lord. Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3 says that he was the meekest person in all of the earth. Or as one translation says, there was nobody as humble as Moses. That word meekness has often been misunderstood, particularly by men. Because sometimes people think that meekness means weakness. It means the exact opposite. The Bible says in in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is talking about be attitudes, he says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. What does it mean? It doesn't mean weakness. It means strength under control. It means that that God's got the reins on you and he pulls and he just jerks and you respond to that. You see, we often feel that we've got to trample over people to get to where we need to be. That we've got to look after number one. That's not the kingdom, friends. The kingdom is that we're strong, but we submit to a higher authority. His name's the Lord. That's meekness. And the Bible says there was no one as meek in all the earth as Moses. What a leader. What a leader. And so he got raised in the palace. He decided not to enjoy the ease of the palace because the Bible tells him in Hebrews that he actually identified with his people. His people that were in slavery. You know the story. How that God used him to be an emancipator of the people. And used him in an amazing way. And as I read the life of Moses, I find that time and again... He had confrontations with the living God. The burning bush when he was called. Going into the mountain and communing with the Lord. The presence of God in the tabernacle. Here was a man who confronted his God. And as we read this epitaph at the end of Deuteronomy 34, we find the word of God speaking well of him. Reputation is important, isn't it? We've seen in the world of entertainment and professional cycling, even this week, reputations plummet because of people acting in inappropriate ways. But here, friends, we've got a man that passed on the blessing to the next generation and was spoken of with great awe and respect. A prophet has arisen like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. The Spirit-filled Bible says that this emphasizes God's unparalleled intimate knowledge of his servant Moses what about you and me you see the danger is this morning that we say well yeah great great story love it but that was Moses but here's the truth friends God wants to come and be as close to you and I he wants us to have a meeting with him and the passion of the message this morning is that every one of us would leave This church this morning with a greater desire to meet with God close up and personal. Here's what it, with an unfolding revelation of our lives. I want you to notice that meeting with God is more than a church experience. Here at Arena Church, we place a great emphasis on uh, encouraging people to enjoy, be blessed and made at home and welcome at the gathering that we call church. Some people have said to us, well, all you're bothered about in Arena Church is Sunday. And clearly those people don't listen. 
Because Sunday sets us up for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. But the truth is that we do believe in gathering because some of those people that say those things don't want to do church. They don't love church. They're not in church this morning. So we're an easy target for them to say those sorts of things. But we do believe in the gathered church. We do believe that God does things here that he only does when the people gather together. Did you know, friends, there are over 20 teams working in Arena Church to make Sunday happen? Did you know that there are people here sort of quarter to nine, nine o'clock onwards to make Sunday happen? Did you know that sometimes, believe it or not, the preachers burn the midnight oil to actually stand here this morning to minister the word of God? Lots of things taking place. So occasionally if the coffee's a bit off or you've got to do a nine-point turn to get out of the car park, don't be too harsh because we're really trying to do our best to make the church experience all that you desire it to be. But here's the truth, friends. It's more than that. Now we're glad about that. I was saying in another context just last night that there's a debate often in church today between missional church an attractional church. Frankly, friends, I find the debate tedious. You see, the reality is that if any church ceases to be missional, it ceases to be a church. The moment, friends, that we forget about the people that haven't yet come, we have no right to actually be the gathered church. And as long as God gives us breath, friends, we're going to continually be missional. It's inconvenient at times. It's messy It puts us out of our comfort zones. But we're continually reaching out to people that haven't yet come to the Lord. But here's the debate. It's almost that people that flag up missional church have got something against attractional church. But let me remind you, if you're setting up a church that is unwelcoming, unimaginative, and uninspiring, and think that people will come to that in their busy world, think again. Because I want to tell you, they won't. They won't. You heard the story about the Christian in the office one day who was seeking to win his friend for the Lord and they began to talk about church. And John said to Fred, Fred, why don't you come to church? He says, I've already been. Think about it. And he'd made his mind up, friends. And the reality is at times that we've got people out there and we've got a difficult job with them because they've already been. And they've been to a place where nobody said hello. And they've been to a place where it was boring. And they've been to a place where it was unimaginative. And they've been to a place where they jumped into the TARDIS and it took them back to the 19th century. And they've decided they're not going anymore. So the reality is, friends, that we're passionate about church being all it's called to be. But meeting God face to face is more than church. Church facilitates the opportunity for us to meet with the living God face to face. I want to say also that it's more than religious works. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5, it talks about people having a form of godliness, religious works, but denying its power. How many people have we met at times that have reeled off a whole list of religious works? Well, I'm not a bad person. And I actually go to church. Well, sort of Easter and Christmas. And I pay me taxes. And they're reeling off and I give to charity. <laughs> That's not going to bring you to a face-to-face meeting with God. It really isn't. You see, because very often what people like that are doing are expressing that they have no need for God because of what they are doing for him. But when you have a face-to-face meeting with God, 
you realize that you can never do anything for God to gain his favor. That's why we need his unmerited favor over our lives called grace. To understand that anything that we are is not us doing something for him, but him through the power of the cross doing something for us. And friends, that obliterates your pride, your works, your boasting, and how good you think you are. And it lays you flat at the foot of the cross. Say, thank you, Jesus, for loving me. The Apostle Paul had a confrontation with the Holy God. In Acts chapter 9, he's going to Damascus. Get the picture, friends. He says in Acts chapter 8 that this guy was wreaking havoc in the church. People were in prison and almost certainly died because of the religious zealotry of the Apostle Paul. But in Acts chapter 9, he's going towards Damascus. The church in Damascus are a little bit concerned about this man coming and the implications of it. When a shining light blinds him, knocks him off his horse and puts him on the dust of the ground. And says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? A holy confrontation with the living God. You know the story. How that God used Ananias to connect with him on Straight Street. And how this man became the greatest apostle outside of Jesus to minister to the Gentile world. And in Timothy, out of a holy confrontation, he says, I know in whom I believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. You see, when you're the only Christian in your college class and people snigger at the fact that you're a Christian and you've been to Arena Church today, when you're the only bloke in your works canteen and people do all sorts of practical jokes to try and sort of bring you down, the reality is that you've had a holy confrontation with the Lord's. And whatever anybody says, you know the, who, who you've believed and are persuaded that he's able to keep that which you've committed against that day. You see, it spurs people on to an amazing commitment to their God. In the time that we've got left, friends, I want to give four brief things that I believe God uses to confront us with his holiness, with his presence, with his power and with his revelation. It's not an exhaustive list, but it will do for the time that we've got this morning. And I want to encourage you increasingly to be like Moses and to believe that God will bring about a face-to-face holy confrontation continually in our lives that will draw us into a revelation of his life and purpose over us that will cause us never to be the same again. Firstly, friends, the holy confrontation comes by the preach word. The preach word. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul going to one of the great world centers of the day, these words. For since in the wisdom of God, the word, world through its wisdom did not know God, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those that believe. Now, in one or two of the older translations, it talks about the foolishness of preaching. And we've all heard some of that. But the reality is, friends, that it's not saying that foolish, uh, the preaching in itself is foolishness, But the truth of the matter is to a sophisticated township and city to speak about Jesus dying on a cross, bringing a radical change to people's lives seemed in human wisdom to be foolish. But Paul says, I'm not deviating from the message of the foolishness of the cross to come to people. He goes on to say at the beginning of chapter 2, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, that when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaim to you the testimony or the counsel or the word of God. For I resolved to know nothing which, uh, while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and great fear and trembling. We've all been there at times. Me on a regular basis. 
But my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. God confronts his friends by the preaching of the words. You know, there's debate in the church today about the relevancy of preaching in the 21st century. Talk about shooting ourselves in the foot. Talk about scoring on goals. There are people, friends, even in Christendom today that want to abandon, marginalize and limit the preaching of the word. They tell us that people are bored with preaching. I suggest that the people that are talking about people being bored with preaching are the people that have been producing boring messages. How can you reduce reduce the mighty living word of God to be boring? There's something wrong. And the reality is, friends, that it's a subtle influence of the enemy to dilute the impact of the confronting of the word of God to people in this day and generation. A a generation, friends, that is confused. A generation that doesn't know boundaries. A generation that doesn't know what it wants to believe. It needs a clarion message from the front of the church to declare the words of God. And I believe, friends, that God is raising up men and women to be the vehicle of that word in this day. Philip Greenslade, a fine Bible preacher, says these words. He says, preaching does not talk about God. It confronts us with God. That's real preaching, friends. Forgive me for going on one of my hobby horses, but preaching's not a talk. Whoa. It's not a pulpit falling down. Got it. It's not just a talk. It's not just somebody sharing a few minutes. It's not just a thought that I had when I was driving in in the car. Friends, preaching is confronting people with the living, dynamic, life-changing word of God. The Bible tells us of itself that it's a fire that purifies. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah that the word of God is like a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces. The Bible tells us in, 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 in Hebrews chapter 4 that it's a sword that pierces to the very inner being of our life. The Bible tells us in James 1 that it's a mirror that exposes everything about us. The Bible says of itself that it's bread and gold and so we could go on. I wonder if your testimony has been something like this, that when you came to church, it was like it was just that God was speaking to me. Or it was like the preacher knew my every thought. That's great preaching. That's great preaching. When your thoughts, when your inner attitudes, when your issues are confronted with by the living words of God. And friends, we need to thank God that we're in a church where the word of God is preached and ministered and taught. And by God's grace, we're going to continue to do that. Let me just give a little word of warning to followers of Jesus in Arena Church this morning. Because I, I hear sometimes people say, I'm looking for a word. I'm going to come to that in a moment because I believe God give, can give you a word. But in a spirit-filled environment at times, we need to be careful, friends, that we are not looking for a word at the expense of being confronted with the word. Because the word of the Lord endures forever. And a word often comes to minister to us in a season. I worry sometimes because people are looking for a word that actually is contradictory to the word. 
And brothers and sisters, you can look for the next hundred years, you're not going to find it. Because a word will never contradict the words. It really won't. It's impossible. And so if we're looking for a word today to justify our lifestyle, to, 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 which is against the word of God, if we're looking for a word today, friends, that we feel will confirm our behavior that needs some shifts, we're going to be waiting a long time. You need to allow God to confront you with the word. Here's what one preacher said. He says, God's first recorded words were, let there be light, Genesis 1-3. And here's a wonderful statement. And whenever God's word is heard, it's like light. When we declare God's word, we're launching powerful, illuminating truth into the darkness that engulfs our hearers. People see that we've never, people see what they've never seen before and things change. The preacher goes on to say, this is our privilege and also our passion, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul said, full of enthusiasm to the church in Rome, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. Everywhere there are people whose lives have become entangled with harmful untruths. God's method of releasing them is through the preaching of the word. This is what we speak Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. The preacher goes on to say, preaching is risky. It cannot be reproduced at will, nor can it be guaranteed. The preacher prepares thoroughly, but then is totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit to shape and apply what is actually ministered. Without the activity of the Spirit, one is left with lifeless words. Those words may be witty, fascinating, Or extremely boring, but whatever they are, they won't bring life. And this morning in the quietness of my front room, at around 8 o'clock, I said to God, you need to breathe upon this word this morning, otherwise it's just going to be a talk. You need to come close to the word of God and apply it by your genius to every heart in every situation of every age group of Arena Church this morning, friends. Did you know something as a preacher? I believe God can do it. He confronts us with the preached word. That was the longest point, so don't worry. He then, pre- he then confronts us with the prophetic spirit. We're a church that believe in prophecy. We don't want to get spooky about it, weird about it, or imbalanced about it. But the Bible says in Corinthians chapter 14, that all should desire to prophesy. That doesn't necessarily mean that you've got the ministry gift office of a prophet. But it does mean, friends, that this gift of prophecy needs to be continually released across the church. At the final prayer meeting of our three on Tuesday evening, as the Spirit of God led us, we released the prophetic word across the church. And people began to move out in the prophetic spirit. It was a context that was just appropriate for that particular gift to be expressed in that particular occasion. And there was prophetic words to the church and there were prophetic words personally to people. As always, friends, you have to judge the word. God's not asking you to be gullible, chop your head off or be deaf to your spirit because God uses human people and sometimes they can get it wrong. This is why sometimes people never prophesy because they're ever parking at the gate of if I prophesy and it goes wrong, is the kingdom of God going to collapse? Answer, no. You will learn from that situation and be better the next time. 
But I'm telling you, friends, across this room this morning, there are people that need to stir up the gift of prophecy. And what stops you is your own insecurity about what if. But prophecy is expressed in faith. It moves out, it declares something of what God is saying. And it's never going to happen until you take that intake of breath and the big gulp and do it. Prophecy is a supernatural utterance not conceived by your own thoughts or reasoning in a language understood by the listeners to edify, encourage and strengthen. 1 Corinthians 14.3 Or as the wonderful John Phillips used to say, prophecy is to build up, stir up and fire up. Love it. You see, that's what prophecy does. Prophecy is not horizontal, friends. We've all been in meetings where we've heard of horizontal prophecies. Thus says the Lord, the leadership in Arena Church is useless. Therefore, I am sending fire upon the people of God. And you will know. We've all heard those. Prophecy builds us up. Prophecy edifies. Prophecy stirs. Prophecy encourages. And prophecy confronts us with God. You see, in the Old Testament, friends, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, you will know that King David, one of my favorite characters in all of the scriptures, had committed a, a really terrible sin. He committed immorality with a woman that wasn't his wife, and the implications of it were huge. And Nathan the prophet wanders down to talk to David and tells him about a little story uh, of a man pinching a lamb. And David was indignant. He says, that's outrageous. He says, you're the man. You're the man. That's a confrontation, friends. There's enough folks to get around you, to help you, to go again. The kingdom's not going to collapse. And we need to believe that God will minister to us. How about us receiving the prophetic words? How about allowing it to confront our lives? I wonder, friends, if there's an issue in somebody's life today and God's saying, you're the man. You're the man. And you need to do something about it. You see, you need to be glad. You need to be absolutely elated that the sovereign Lord so impassioned about you that he'll speak to you direct. That's what the prophetic word does. We have a holy confrontation, thirdly, friends, through the power of his presence. The Bible says at the end of Matthew 28, when he impassions the church to go and make disciples, lo, I am with you always. And you're going to have to listen to me carefully over the next few moments because we could go astray in terms of what I'm trying to communicate, but I believe in the power of his presence Isaiah said, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. There is a sense, friends, where God is with us every moment of every day on every occasion. But here's the truth. We need to cultivate the power of God's presence in our lives. Some of you may have read a book by Brother Lawrence, which is an ancient tome now. But Brother Lawrence engaged in the power of the presence of God. We need to realize that the power of God's presence confronts us. It changes us, it, it shapes us, it moves us. And it's an amazing thing when we allow it to invade our lives. The Bible says that in Psalm 22, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Why do we do what we do at the beginning of a service, friends? Is that just the thing that we do in evangelical Pentecostal Christianity? No, what we're doing, friends, is creating a platform for God to come close. He inhabits the praises of his people. And all over the world today, friends, in thousands and thousands of contexts, people have been praising the Lord. There's been a sound of earth that's captured the attention of heaven. 
I'm believing and Christian is that increasingly, friends, people are going to get healed in his presence. That people are going to get touched in his presence. See, because revelation flows when we confront God face to face. And I want to encourage you to come to the house of God. If I can say on time, I am being edgy now. And to, to confront the power of God's presence. I want you, friends, not to sit back and let the band do it. Because the band are doing it so that you can do it. And that every one of us corporately, friends, will engage with his presence because revelation will increasingly flow. Revelation will flow over our lives. I believe that young people can get visions in the power of his presence that determine the decision-making processes of your life. Because you think you've got it all set up, zoop, 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 and God's about to come and change it for somebody. I think that's a prophecy. He's about to change it for somebody. Parents... You need to allow the God of of all heaven to shape what he wants to do in your life. All the people that God can speak to your flesh with something that he's bringing to your life. There's been trends in recent years of people responding to the power of the presence of God that have sometimes caused some consternation. But here's the truth. And please hear me, I'm saying this in a balanced way. In the Bible, when people were confronted with the power of God's presence, they fell to the grounds. In the Bible, they prostrated themselves before the presence of God. In the Bible, friends, they were gripped with a holy fear and reverence when they were confronted with the presence of the Lord. And there are things that God does when we come together that he won't do anywhere else. In a corporate expression of his presence, that's why we need to come regularly. D.L. Moody, a great revivalist of another generation, says, being part of a church and coming to it as a disciple is as important as someone that would receive a transfusion of blood from a healthy person to someone that's sick. It pours something into you. It changes your perspective for the office tomorrow. It washes away the grime of sin that you've had to live in this week. It brings revelation to your life. It sends you out saying, I've never seen it like that before taking place all over the room David in the aftermath of his fall says in Psalm 51 cast me not away from your presence people have said to me Phil what do you think hell's going to be like and leaving aside whether you feel that the scriptures speak of imagery or things literal here's what hell's going to be like friends it's going to be a place where God's presence isn't forever and ever And so I encourage his friends to engage with God's presence. But here's the little, here's the little exhortation. Because what I'm not saying this morning, friends, is our Christian faith is totally determined by our feelings. See, I laugh sometimes because somebody can walk out of the church and say, oh, the presence of God this morning. Somebody else is saying, we didn't nail it today. Oh, I felt with, oh, no, 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 no. I don't know what was going off. I didn't get anything. Well, you must have got something, friends. You see? So we have to be a little careful of all of that. But here's here's what I'm trying to say with balance. That actually the presence of God can be felt. It can be tangible. It can be impacted. It can be sensed. God inhabits the praises of his people. And Miriam talking to a colleague at work just a couple of weeks ago. Oh boy, she's into all sorts. Which is a reflection of a postmodern world. That says I'll believe a bit of everything. And as long as somebody doesn't tell me, you know, I can't do it. Then I'm just going to carry on. So she had a bit of Christianity, a bit of uh, 
transcendental meditation, a bit of new age stuff. And she said, you see, Miriam, I'd love to believe in your God, but I want to feel him. And now Miriam was wise enough not to say anything, but she says, I have felt him. The power of his presence. I felt God confronted with it that has changed me forever. Closing, friends. We're confronted by the preached word. We're confronted by the prophetic spirit. We're confronted by his powerful presence. And we're confronted by a personal call. And I want to make two references here. Number one, to salvation. See, I have people saying to me, well, it's all right for you, Phil. You're called. You're you're called. But here's the truth, friends. We're all called. You see, when you came out of darkness into life, you were called out of darkness into life. You know when the Bible describes people in the, in the, in the New Testament as saints? It's nothing to do with... Da, 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 da. And you've got to be really old to get that one, you know. It's nothing to do with that. And the little ring over his head. He was on the telly the week, wasn't he? You know, still going strong. Nothing to do with that. What does saint mean? It's nothing to do with the Catholic Church and being canonized when you die. Nothing to do... What does it mean? It means called our ones. The saints at Arena Church. The called out ones. We've all got a call. And here's the call to somebody that's not stepped into faith yet. That's not become a Christian. That's got those questions that I referred to earlier. And believe me, friends, we'll try and help you process your questions. We're not asking you to chop your head off to become a Christian. But we are asking you to give your heart to become a Christian. Here's the call to those people today. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. To be rescued, to be saved. Not religious works that deny the power thereof, but a confrontation with the living God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Will you become a devoted follower of Jesus and go on a journey that will bless your life forever? But what about a personal call to service? Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul says, Call to be an apostle. And again and again in the Bible, friends, and through the history of time, men and women have been called to serve God, sometimes vocationally. And I've met literally dozens of people, friends, that have forsaken lucrative careers, the ability to earn lots of money, sometimes material comforts for the greater cause of serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I believe that there are going to be people in Arena Church in the next 10 years that are going to receive a vocational call to ministry, that are going to be sent out from this church to be a blessing to the wider kingdom of God. And God's confronting you with the journey of that call right now. Don't worry, friends, that if he's just started that, that it's going to go away. What happens is it gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger until you have to do something about it. You may say, well, that's not my call, Phil. I understand that. But we've got people in our church today that are called to work in the world of medicine and teaching and commerce. They're called to the building site. They're called to the shop floor. They're called to the schoolroom. They're called to be a great neighbor. In other words, a call on your life that doesn't turn your life to drudgery, that wakes you tomorrow morning with a skip in your heart because you are living in the service 
of the Most High. One 